0: Hello, everybody. It is John Pollock, and welcome to a special post-show here at our temporary home of John and Way4.life. Well, Way continues to be on vacation. He is going to be back with me on Monday night following Rob, but tonight it's solo me again. So if you got through me alone during TakeOver, hopefully Survivor Series will be okay. Uh, We're going to run through this entire show, which was... In total, six hours, they did not go past the 11 o'clock mark. Uh, but they had lots of stuff coming out of this show. We are going to run through all of the matches, the hot new heel in the company that everything was built around, Triple H. We will discuss all of that. Uh, so let us dive into things. And I want to thank everyone for the feedback to the Takeover show as well. Uh, Go watch that show. It was a hell of an event. Survivor Series, Sunday night, night number two at the Toyota Center. Uh, We started off, this feels like days ago, as I look back at my notes here, to the kickoff show, which featured Renee Young, Jerry Lawler, Shawn Michaels, and Peter Rosenberg. Shawn Michaels was my highlight of this kickoff show. It's kind of his thing, that he just doesn't care what's going on, and that's kind of just what he said at the beginning of this, that he really didn't care what was happening, and Sean was fun on this kickoff show. That's all I ask for. And uh, we had very little of note up until the matches. Uh, The the SmackDown women's team met backstage with Natalia entering with a whistle, stating that they were going to dominate and decimate Team Raw tonight. That would be incorrect. Lana stating that Tamina is going to handle Nia Jax during the match. And Becky stating that Raw doesn't have half the heart, and they will prove they are the show. SmackDown was in for a night of disappointment, but so early on in the night, they were hoping of plans of being the show. I hope for Becky's sake she did not stick around for the main event. Alexa Bliss joined the panel, and she scoffed at Ric Flair and Charlotte and their reunion on SmackDown this past week. She says that we've seen them hug so many times, and then we had this awkward uh, inclusion of Charlotte, who joined them through a split screen because she was in the back and Charlotte talked about her accolades that she doesn't get sick. She doesn't miss shows. She is the iron woman and is a grand slam champion. And bliss says that she has beat three of the four horsewomen and will beat Charlotte tonight and send her back into the stable. So this is the final horsewoman that Alexa has to knock off and says that Charlotte did take her under her wing in NXT, but now has no respect for her. My question coming out of this promo is, how exactly is Charlotte the Grand Slam champion? Like, when I think of Grand Slam, I mean, you think of four of something. I mean, that was, you know, with Shawn Michaels. He was the, the first WWF-dubbed Grand Slam champion when he won the European title to join his world title, IC title, and tag title. Charlotte, I might not be the smartest guy in the world, but she has won an NXT women's title, a Raw women's title, And a SmackDown women's title. Is there a championship I am not aware of? Is there a volleyball championship that she's using as a qualifier here? I'm not quite sure, but somehow she has just become a Grand Slam champion. And don't give me the multiple reigns because, my God, she'd be a – if we count all of her Raw title reigns, I mean it would be well above four. So anyway, if anyone wants to break that one down for me, have at it. Elias was in the ring this was one of two matches that were added just hours before the show to the pre-show Elias versus Matt Hardy and before Elias did his usual introduction asking who wants to walk with Elias and he got a lot of cheers here from this crowd in Houston he asked what would Elias do and he wouldn't come to Houston on his own he starts singing and we got a chorus of booze from the crowd during his song and he calls the fans dumb and that Texans are the worst thing about the USA. And this was so funny because Booker's mic is is hot here. And they usually, they're just all quiet for this. And Booker just says, oh man, like this guy stepped just a, across the line. And it was just so well-timed on Booker's behalf here, just scoffing at Elias's insult about Texans. So Matt Hardy came out. Lots of delete chants. Booker stated that Matt is trying to keep the train on the tracks without his brother, uh, who was out due to injury, which is probably accurate. Uh, They had your pre-show commercial in the middle of the match. This was a very simple match. It was all built around Matt's left arm and Elias snapping it on the rope and then working it. And Matt's selling was great, I thought, during this match. We had a hammer lock on the edge of the apron, and Hardy hit a side effect on the apron, made his comeback all with one arm. This was like when Daniel Bryan said he was training for a comeback, and with the idea idea that if he could not have the use of uh, of part of his body. Uh, Matt Hardy pretty much did this with his comeback. He even caught himself at one point where he used the injured arm for a bulldog, caught it, and then changed arms to hit the bulldog. He's not able to hit the twist of fate. He's run shoulder first into the post, and then Elias hits the drift away for the win at 9 minutes and 15 seconds. Perfectly fine pre-show match. I thought Matt Hardy was the the shining star of this match. I was really impressed with his selling. Elias can be led through a match. He's hardly anything to write home about once the bell rings. Uh, but this was uh, Elias in there with a really skilled veteran. And these are the kind of guys Elias should be working with. So I thought Matt Hardy was uh, one of the positives on this entire show. I really enjoyed uh, his work in this. Charlie interviewed The Miz in the social media lounge Just cutting a promo on Baron Corbin. He stated, this might have been the most ridiculous line in history. He stated that he puts more pressure on himself than anyone. He belongs in the main event and that some will say the main event is the Raw versus SmackDown five-on-five elimination match. Some believe it's AJ Styles and Brock Lesnar. No, the main event tonight is himself versus Baron Corbin. I can't even say this with a straight face. The unofficial main event, folks, Miz and Corbin. Which, how how amazing is it that when they first announced the Survivor Series setup this year and those four champion versus champion matches, the only one that remained intact from the original announcements was the Miz versus Baron Corbin. All the others changed. Cesaro and Sheamus won the tag titles. AJ won the WWE title, and then Charlotte wins the SmackDown Women's title. But Miz and Corbin we were bound and determined that we were going to get to this night, our third main event of the night. Enzo versus Kalisto for the Cruiserweight title was next. We had Vic Joseph and Nigel McGuinness calling this one. Poor Kalisto, fresh off his birthday. He runs down, he does his usual entrance off the uh off his little uh, off his little uh, jumping pad and trampoline is the word I was looking for. And he goes to do the, the usual like somersault over the top rope and doesn't clear it. So he just bounces down on the rope and then uses his body to just flip over. I mean, he got over, but this entrance did not get over. Uh, Enzo comes out, cuts a promo, brings up the cake from 205 Live. He says he's going to make beef stew out of Kalisto, even though he's a chicken. And then worked in a Chick-fil-A reference. Match began. Uh, We saw Kalisto hop the rope into a code red, which looked really good. Kalisto's neck was snapped on the top rope. We went through a commercial. Kalisto's in the tree of woe, and Enzo nailed him with his forearm. Kalisto then landed a standing moonsault, and this is when Enzo had been working on the midsection of Kalisto, so the standing moonsault was uh, ill-advised, and Kalisto made his comeback. Salida del Sol is blocked. Enzo... Totally fucks up this Jordanzo on the apron. And Kalisto doesn't even sell it. Kalisto gets pulled into the steel part of the turnbuckle. They go inside the ring. And Enzo hits the Jordanzo inside the ring. And pins Kalisto at 8 minutes and 43 seconds. Uh, Really sloppy part on the apron there. Um, Hardly a great match. It was just there. Um, This, I don't know. It just seems to be... Enzo is great when he is the big fish in the small pond of 205 Live, but when he's on a pay-per-view like this and it's just a pre-show match, it's one of those why is this why is this guy the cruiserweight champion kind of that's what you feel like. Because the matches are so secondary with this guy. And I don't I don't hate the idea of him on 205 Live. I don't even hate the idea of him as cruiserweight champion. But when it does come time to do the match. It's a it's a big hang up for me. And you can, this guy's an entertaining character, and you can you can build things around him. But the actual match, especially on a pre-show, where it just feels as though it's pointless anyway. That's what this match felt like by the end of it. Then uh, the final pre-show match: Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn against Brizongo. Now. We can look at this as a whole at the end of the show because I was not crazy when they announced this match. It's like, why why put Owens and Zayn on the pre-show? They have a spot, and it should be in the main event. And this just felt like putting them on the pre-show for the sake of putting them on the show. And I think that almost – these are two, especially Owens, main guys on SmackDown. Why paint them with the pre-show brush? It's unnecessary. Anyone could have been put in this slot does it hurt Owens and Zane? Eh. When you watch this, not really. But was there a point to it? No, not really. I feel Owens and Zane are quickly becoming one of my. F- their dynamic for their entrance is just awesome. Zane just gets more ridiculous with his stomping around and over exuberance as he's coming down the aisle, and Owens is just stone faced walking down like he's about to blow a gasket. I just love their entrance. I think it's great, and especially to Owens' music. It really fits them. Owens gets on the microphone with Zayn. They said they didn't come to the WWE to compete with clowns like Brizongo. Zayn calls this a disgrace and an insult, being relegated to a match with these two, and says how... Uh, Owens says he won his first IC title in this building and also became universal champion in this building. Now, the crowd automatically cheers at this mention of their home arena, and Owens just says, those were my moments, not yours. Shut up. And he should be leading Team SmackDown to victory and blame Shane McMahon. He calls this an unsafe working environment uh, of what happened on Tuesday when the Raw guys invaded. And therefore, Owen said their lives were in danger and they did the right thing by escaping. They're not going to be pawns for Shane's, quote, propaganda machine. And says it wasn't their fight nor their problem with the Raw guys. Brizongo comes out. They tell Zayn and Owens that they smell. They call Zane a paper boy and state it's violation time as the match begins. Through a commercial they go, Zane takes over. He is Keeping Breeze away from Fandango as they drag him to their corner, long chin lock spot by Owens, finally releases it, and Breeze gets his knees up for a senton, making the tag to Fandango, and then we saw a Tornado DDT delivered to Zayn, Owens made the save, Fandango missed the last dance coming off the top, and then Owens is in, pop-up powerbomb and pins him in 8 minutes and 32 seconds. This was a time killer. If you really want to defend their decision to put them on the pre-show, you could say, well, this is is the latest in the mistreatment by Shane McMahon dumping these guys on the pre-show that was never brought up later in the show it won't be brought up but whatever it was fine this was hardly detrimental for Owens and Zane it just felt as though well let me put it this way okay because sometimes I bring up points like this about oh you're you're so critical you take every little fact and you just blow it up such as guys being on the pre-show who cares and one of those things is those damn t-shirts that every single year I rant and rave about how these guys just look like total dorks in these shirts. They're all in uniform together, and hence none of them look like stars. And then tonight, I watched that Raw team walk out one by one. Kurt Angle, Braun Strowman, Samoa Joe, Finn Balor, all in those goddamn Raw t-shirts. And then the fifth member of the team walks out, no geek shirt. No geek shirt for Hunter, for God. He came out to his own shirt. And that's when I realized I am so fucking smart because I am thinking on the same level as this guy. This guy who's running all of this stuff realizes that these these geek shirts don't fit him. This guy got his own custom red shirt with all his crazy skull shit all over it. And it was amazing. We had three guys in that main event who got... Uh, who got excused from wearing the geek shirts. We'll get to that later. Anyway, that ended the kickoff show. We start off the pay-per-view proper with the line that I must have heard 50 times on this show. Michael Cole, the first thing out of his mouth on the pay-per-view, it's the one night of the year that Raw and SmackDown compete in head-to-head competition as he welcomes us. First match of the main show is the New Day against The Shield. The New Day comes out And they state this match will be great for fan fiction writers out there. They're probably having a ball with these six. Kofi mocks Raw for needing three weeks in order to steal their invasion idea and did not do it as well. And they go on and on about dogs because the Shield are the hounds of justice. Therefore, they're literally dogs. And they are going to go Bob Barker on their ass. They're going to spade and neuter the Shield. (laughs) Little did the New Day know that their roster members would be neutered in the main event. So Big E predicts that The Shield will turn on each other as WrestleMania gets closer. There's no greater brotherhood than the New Day. And they had to kill time then for this lengthy video recap. The New Day just stood in the ring as this three-minute video aired. We come back and the New Day's just dancing in the ring. And then we get the craziest shot of the night. It's our five-man announce team for the night. I I swear to God, we had five people calling this entire show. Michael Cole, Corey Graves, Booker T, Tom Phillips, and Byron Saxton. Five-man booth. And it had its rough moments throughout this show. We will get into that. The New Day and The Shield. they This was a match that I don't know what it was. The first ten minutes of this match, I just could not get into this. And... It just, to me, was—I had very high expectations for this match. I know going in, this wasn't one of the really buzz-heavy matches. I think everyone was focused on Styles Lesnar, the five-on-five men's match. I think that's where everyone was looking at for the the big show stealers. I looked at this, and I thought to myself, I've seen the New Day with the Usos just kill it all summer and into the fall. And I feel with the Shield and the New Day, this could steal the show— So I went into this expecting an incredible match, and I'm not going to downgrade this. I think this ended up being the second best match on the show, and I think a lot of people were split on this match, but where I get it is the first half, because I did not get into this, and I can't put my finger on it, but it wasn't clicking, and part of it was that I feel the participants felt that they believed this was a big match, and the audience kind of let them know in the first five to ten minutes that they did not they did not digest this as a big dream match scenario and at the beginning you had the different combinations in there and it all built up to Roman Reigns and Big E and I think they expected a much bigger kind of reaction from the audience to see these strange combinations that you don't typically see and there wasn't that. I don't think anyone saw Roman Reigns and Big E getting into the ring for the same time as anything out of the ordinary to them. And maybe they just misjudged how big of a dream match this was to people. It wasn't a dream match. And I think that um, was something that everyone kind of realized. So there was one part early. So the... Kingston does this reverse cross off the top. He nearly gets hit with the dirty deeds. And they drive Dean into the corner for the unicorn stampede. Then they start it over again. And Booker T just says, these guys are running out of ideas. Just running down uh, the new day. So Big E then hit his big running spear to the floor, taking Dean off the apron with him. The one that you always gasp at. Big E then tears off Dean's half shield half raw t-shirt which i can only imagine if they were selling these things i can't believe anyone would buy one ambrose tagged in rollins he fired up on kingston rollins hit a buckle bomb to woods woods then sidestepped a superman punch from Reigns. Reigns comes back lands it and he calls for the spear as the crowd chants roman sucks and he runs into the knee of xavier woods uh Then we had Ambrose and Rollins double-team Kingston. First they hit the King's Landing, then the Dirty Deeds, but Woods made the save. They did a lot of saves at this point, and Woods saving Kingston, uh, this was the first uh, tease of a a fall that I think the audience bought. And when Woods made the save, that seemed to be the turning point of the match, where the crowd was pretty much all-in. Uh, from this point through the finish. And that's where it really picked up. Reigns and Ambrose ran Biggie and Kofi Kingston into the barricade on the floor to isolate Xavier Woods. They go for the triple t- powerbomb, but get stopped by Biggie, who is then sent into the steps. There's a trouble in paradise to Rollins, shining, uh, shining wizard to Ambrose from Woods. Then we saw a spot where Big E was on the shoulder of the shoulders of Xavier Woods and Kingston leapfrogged over him to hit a splash and then Woods dropped Big E onto Ambrose. Uh, Reigns speared Kingston to break up a pinfall after a double midnight hour where Big E lifted Ambrose and Rollins together and Kofi came off the top. Crowds chanting, this is awesome. Both teams stagger. All six start brawling. Dirty deeds to Big E on the floor. Kofi then missed coming off the top, eating a spear from Roman Reigns. And then we got a super triple powerbomb from the Shield as they... Lifted up Kingston. Reigns was on the second turnbuckle. Rollins and Ambrose climbed to the second as well. Hit the triple powerbomb. And they pinned Kofi Kingston with Dean getting the pinfall at 21 minutes and 31 seconds. So while this was was like a Greg Valentine for an analogy, it took a little to warm up this match. But when it did, it got really good. And I thought this was the second best match of the show. Um, I think had this match maybe opening the show where it's kind of the opener to the people but not really because they've just sat through three matches which all got eight nine minutes as well it was just really early in the show to put this on and i think this this would have been better later in the show which it's always a risk on one of these marathon shows of burning out a crowd how big are they going to get into a 20 minute match four hours in but Anyway, I don't want to even paint this one as a failure or anything like this. It was the second-best match on the show. This was not at the level of the New Day matches with the Usos, but that's not necessarily uh, indicative of these guys coming up short. I just thought that this was going to be possibly the match of the night, and it wasn't, but it was still strong, I felt. Stephanie, in her raw red dress, is with the raw women backstage, and Principal Stephanie goes after the... uh, the raw team here and gives them a rah rah speech, a literal rah rah speech. And she tells Asuka to break Becky's bones. She tells Bailey, no more hugs. The time for hugging is over. This is not working. She wants Naya to be dominant and toss Carmella into the third row. She says, You know how Naomi feels the glow? Well, I want you to knock her lights out. And the final person she addresses is Alicia Fox, who she she said she had a lot of doubts about, but not anymore. And Fox was wearing this crazy headdress in, like, uh, this, like, Thanksgiving-inspired headwear. And she yelled, yes, ma'am, so... So matter of factly to Stephanie that she leaned back and this thing fell off. She was like uh, Andrade trying to lift the NXT title last night. So this head thing falls off, but thankfully it was recovered for her entrance. That is where we go next with the Raw Women's t- match with Becky Lynch, Carmella, Natalia, Naomi, and Tamina taking on Alicia Fox, Bailey, Sasha Banks, Nia Jax, and Oscar. And I was not crazy about Asuka being part of this, mainly because I want Asuka to be separate. I don't want her to be chummy with all the other raw women. I do not want to see her in a raw shirt, the geek shirt, as we will call it on this show. Um, that said, um, while you can get through the optics, Asuka was clearly the focus of this match she was the star in this match and she was to the crowd as well she came out last got a really strong reaction here in Houston so um, this ended up being uh, pretty strong for Asuka all things considered so Fox and Lynch the captains of the respective teams they start and we immediately have this scenario where Bailey blind tags in Becky misses it. And Bailey just rolls up Becky and eliminates Becky in two minutes. And when I saw that on my stopwatch, two minutes, we get the first elimination. You knew these women were going to be racing through eliminations. And well, the, the entire match itself went just over 18. So, That's still a lot when you consider the fact that there was going to be uh, one survivor in all of this. That means nine eliminations in 18 minutes and 25 seconds. Asuka got tagged in with Tamina and the crowd was just buzzing for Asuka. This felt like a different audience than the average television crowd you get on a Monday night. Because Asuka does not feel like a star every week on Raw. She felt like a big star here on the survivor series show. More so than even her debut at TLC, I would say, against Emma. Carmella is in, super kick Bailey, and then Tamina splashes Bailey off the top, and Bailey is gone in 527. Poor Bailey. Nye and Tamina then go at it with, um, The announcer's talking about how this is a family affair between Nia and Tamina. Nia did this running cannonball to Tamina, but in the middle of the ring as opposed to into the turnbuckle. Tamina's not able to lift her. Nia then knocks Lana off the apron to the floor. Tamina hits her with two super kicks. She goes to the floor. Naomi hits a pescado to Jax. They had to really go out of their way to try and protect Nia as much as possible with an elimination because then Tamina hit a third super kick on the floor and then a cross body off the steps and Tamina gets in at the count of 9 Jax does not and Nia gets counted out in the 9 in 9 minutes so that was the end of Nia's night Fox is then yelling at Nia as she leaves Naomi misses a split legged moonsault to Alicia Fox and then went for this tilt whirl into a roll up the referee counts three, but as he hits the mat to hit three, Naomi transitions into her new submission she's been using, and Alicia just stops and gets out of the, the way of the submission and leaves. This was so sloppy. It was just, I don't know if they thought that the tilt world the tilt world did not look great either. They had two tries at it and then finally hit it and went into the pin attempt. And this was just a mess. I'm having a hard time describing it, but it's burned in my memory. So if you want to go back and watch this, it was just terrible. Sasha then had to come in and immediately apply the bank statement. So Naomi was gone before you could even process what had happened. Then Asuka just lit up Carmella with kicks, hit a running hip attack. Uh, Carmella sold pretty well here for all of Asuka's offense. She came back with a Bronco Buster, slapped Asuka, and Asuka just smiles, gets up. She had... A tremendous aura throughout this match. And she hit this knee, uh, a kick to the face, and eliminated Carmella. Then it was Banks and Natalia who traded slaps. There was double knees from Banks in the corner into the bank statement. Tamina broke that up. Natalia then rammed Sasha into the middle turnbuckle face first, applied the sharpshooter, and is standing there watching and we've just seen the same deal with the bank statement and Tamina running in to break it up uh, so this was a great attention to detail because Asuka kind of looked silly here not interfering on her team's behalf so Tamina knocked Asuka off the apron to eliminate that option for Asuka which I thought was something that could easily have been overlooked and it wasn't and they took care of it so it didn't make Asuka look silly uh, but Banks ended up having to submit as a result of being locked in the sharpshooter so we're down to Tamina and Natalia against Asuka. Tamina missed with a top rope splash, and Oscar hit a flying armbar, which Tamina tapped out to. Then Natalia goes for the sharpshooter; it's turned into a heel hook by Oscar. Natalia breaks free, gets kicked in the head, ducks a discus clothesline, lands a spin kick on Natalia, and then with the double underhooks, she slams her down, applies the Asuka lock, and Natalia taps out at 18 minutes and 25 seconds. They rushed through a lot. This was not a smooth match but with the right parts uh in particular Oscar and Natalia they only had i would say like 90 seconds together but it was a really solid 90 seconds to 2 minutes that would be that would have been a great match just to have a singles match involving those two and honestly Oscar and Carmela actually wasn't all that bad either the interaction but it was so quick they raced through so much this would have benefited a lot more if it was perhaps 4 on 4 but um not a standout match but it did what it was supposed to do which was more important and that was make oscar come across like a big star so i think that if you're going to sa- sacrifice match quality you got the bigger goal of protecting oscar uh, accomplished so that was a strong part of the women's match then we went backstage stephanie was with daniel bryan in her office always fun when we have these two interacting Stephanie is bragging about Raw being up 2-0. By the way, so tonight, it all of a sudden was a best of seven. This was never once said on television. I said it on one of the shows this week. We had no idea what was even going to determine who wins these this Survivor Series. Was it going to be a best of seven? Was it going to just be the uh, Survivor Series elimination matches? I mean, it was kind of never stated how this was all going to work um so it was best of seven which could have just been said once i mean we had seven matches announced i mean you could make you could draw that conclusion but come on brian thinks that their men's team is going to win which boy that that looks silly in in hindsight stephanie asks how Brian was able to get John Cena and accuses him of nepotism because John Cena is almost Brian's brother-in-law. Brian laughs at Stephanie accusing anyone of nepotism and brings up Hunter being put on the raw team. And Brian brings up beating Hunter at WrestleMania 30. And Stephanie notes, Shane is not a hundred percent after his beatdown on SmackDown this week and mentions that if Shane McMahon were out of action, Brian would have full autonomy on SmackDown, and it was left with Brian pondering this. This is the last we would see of Daniel Bryan, and we've got that lingering issue coming out of this pay per view with Shane and Daniel Bryan, and they have to have their talk. So, I mean, we will talk about this in the main event, but that is one story that is coming out. But I mean, really, any storyline involving Daniel Bryan, it's kind of there's a there's a glass ceiling to whatever story you come up with because it's not going to get physical. Unfortunately, this one did the Miz versus Baron Corbin, the match that did stay intact of our champion versus champion matches, Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel accompanied the Miz to the ring. Curtis Axel was in a red neck brace and Maurice was in the front row and gave Miz a kiss for good luck. And Michael Cole notes that the Miz is the only wrestler to have appeared at every Survivor Series since 2011. Like, what an accolade. What a stat to bring up on a guy. Could you imagine anyone being aware of this? If you're The Miz, if you're anyone. Such a random stat that means nothing. Both wrestled in their geek shirts. They fought on the floor. Corbin got in Maurice's face saying this is what a real man looks like. The crowd was, du- was chanting, let's go Miz, let's go Corbin. I don't think because they were invested in anything here. I think they just had no one to cheer for. So they figured, what the hell, let's just do our regular go-to chants. And that's what this got. Um Was this match as bad as I thought it would be? No. Miz has good matches. Corbin doesn't. This was above your average Corbin match but I wouldn't say by much Um, Dallas chopped out the knee of Corbin which seems fine that you would have a body part to sell unfortunately it's Baron Corbin that's got to sell this so he went in fits of overselling the knee and then completely forgetting he was selling the knee Miz uh did a running boot he worked on the left knee clipped it again goes to the figure four which makes sense applies it in the center but Baron gets to the rope Corbin hit the deep six and got a two count then Corbin knocked down Axel on the floor he fights back his knee is miraculously healed and then he sent Dallas into the ring with a Beal and then hits the end of days onto Dallas allowing Miz to capitalize and gets a schoolboy for a two count Miz then blocked the end of days kicks out the knee lands a DDT we went into near falls to try and you know energize the audience I don't know if that really proved to be all that effective Miz went for his running drop kicks a la Daniel Bryan into the corner he hit three of them and on the fourth Corbin just hit him with the end of days and pinned him in 925 so Raw was up two to one not a strong match that's all I'm gonna say the the selling was left a little to be desired here Rene then interviewed Baron in the ring. He says his arm went up and Miz's mouth went shut. And he also shut the mouths up of all the people as he limped away, remembering which knee it was. I was fast forwarding at this point through some of the ads, but this one I made sure to rewind because I'd gone midway through and I saw Bailey in a jeweler's shop with our bachelor, Stephen, and they were at K Jewelers because Stephen was going to be proposing to his longtime girlfriend Valerie in a WWE-sponsored segment inside of a WWE ring. And Steven got down on one knee inside of an empty arena and asked Valerie, Will you be the champion of my heart? As this dude, listen, I, I have my doubts if this is a real couple. So if they are, I wish you a lifetime and more of happiness, Stephen and Valerie. However, Valerie, just remember that on one of the most memorable days of your life and an action that a man would probably classify as one of the biggest of his life, Stephen, for this big day, this huge proposal, did this wearing a John Cena hoodie. K jewelers Charlie is with Paul Heyman outside of Brock Lesnar's dressing room and Heyman says AJ Styles has been phenomenal since the first day he stepped foot inside of a ring. He says this night has been phenomenal. He says AJ is the most phenomenal in-ring performer of this or any generation. But when the bell rings tonight, he's in a fight with a conqueror and Lesnar will rip him apart. And AJ will regret beating Jinder Mahal because Lesnar is the number one champion then, now, and forever. And because I watched these back to back, I couldn't help but wish for a K jeweler spot with Paul Heyman. Could you imagine? Could you imagine Paul Heyman doing the K jeweler spot? I think it would be the best thing ever. Cesaro and Sheamus versus the Usos were next. This was kind of like. Right in the middle of the show. So I didn't know how the audience was going to react to this. The Usos mocked the bar's catchphrase, calling themselves bartenders. And then they ask about other bars, like candy bars, ice cream bars, pull-up bars, crow bars, handle bars. Anyway, Usos promos are the hardest for me to recap because it's all in their delivery. It sounds awful when I read it, and they make it work. And that's part of the charm of the Usos. They've got a great style, and it's so much delivery Seamus has the tips of his mohawk painted now Cole compared him to the red rooster Jimmy landed the suicide dive to Cesaro on the floor and then Seamus hit him with a rolling fireman's carry on the floor as they worked over Jimmy for a prolonged period of time Uh, Jay came in uh, he back body drops Cesaro into the corner turnbuckle which looked nasty just in landing you can't really control that Cesaro came back, did a giant swing to Jay into the sharpshooter, and then uh, Sheamus stopped Jimmy from interfering with a brogue kick. Jay fought to the ropes, got the break. Cesaro came off the middle rope for the assisted white noise to Jay. Jimmy made the save. Lots of saves back and forth here. Jimmy gets thrown face first into the middle rope, which seems to be his spot now. Cesaro then lifts Jay. He stops Sheamus on top, and with Jay... On the shoulders of Cesaro, he grabbed Sheamus and hit a Samoan drop as Sheamus was on the top turnbuckle. This looked nuts. And Jimmy returned, super kicked Cesaro to the floor. Sheamus kicks out after the Samoan drop from the J on the shoulders of Cesaro. Cesaro then uh, got shoved away. uh, Shoved. Sheamus away and ate a double superkick. Then they superkick Sheamus together. And as Jay went for a tope to the floor, he tagged Jimmy in midair as Jay crashed to the floor, hitting Cesaro. And Jimmy climbed to the top, hitting a top rope splash, pinning Sheamus at 15 minutes and 55 seconds to tie things up at two apiece between Raw and SmackDown. Very good tag match involving all four of these um, One of the better matches on the show, I thought. Um, Not at the Shield New Day level, but I would look at this as probably third on the show in terms of matches I enjoyed. So good tag match, 16 minutes, and they they did a lot of creative stuff throughout the match. Charlie then introduced Jason Jordan backstage, who received tons of boos. He says he feels terrible because he may never get to compete with his dad ever after being removed from the survivor series match he says if anything goes wrong he's ready to go and is 100 percent behind his teammates and then charlie asks well what about triple h and he clarifies his statement stating i hope triple h gets eliminated and then raw wins the match well that would not happen and we also saw no jason jordan in the main event no involvement then they announced uh, what had already been mentioned uh, earlier in the week, that Survivor Series weekend next year will be taking place from Los Angeles with Survivor Series on Sunday, November the 18th at the Staples Center. And presumably um, that's where all of the shows next year will be with TakeOver Raw and SmackDown. Lexa Bliss versus Charlotte was our next champion versus champion match. This focused on Bliss, first yanking Charlotte by the arm off the apron, and then she attacked the ribs of Charlotte, putting a lot of pressure on them. This is when the announcing became very irritable, specifically between Booker T and Byron Saxton, who were just going back and forth, taking shots at one another Byron stating how Booker never makes any sense. Booker just shutting down Byron and bullying him. And it just was so grating to listen to. It reminded me of when they would mix up the announced teams with Jerry Lawler and Matt Stryker. And Lawler hated this guy. And that's what you felt here. Like, Booker just doesn't like this dude. And it just became painful. And with five voices, it was just a lot. At one point, Booker was talking about... The championship rounds of a boxing fight with the 10th, 11th, and 12th rounds. And Cole just kind of laughed this off, stating, You know, Moro's on NXT, let him handle boxing. And they just kind of made Booker look goofy here, trying to make his analogy. Charlotte did the suplex and sent Bliss into the corner as she was holding her ribs after selling for quite a while. Charlotte then got placed into the Tree of Woe and dris. Bliss drop kicked the ribs. There was a lot of good stuff here, I thought, in particular from Bliss and just every all of her attack based around the ribs. She did her double knees off the turnbuckle to the ribs, then went for that backflip but totally missed her target. There was a code red to Charlotte for a two-count. Bliss then applies a guillotine, and Charlotte gets up for a sit-out powerbomb to escape. And then Bliss stops a figure-four attempt with a forearm. Natural selection is hit. Alexa kicked out of that. Then Charlotte... This was just annoying. Charlotte, it's like, okay, we're going to do a match where your ribs are going to be the the part of your body you're going to sell. And Alexa is going to gear all of her offense around your ribs. So you know what that means? It means some of your trademark spots don't work. With, with the story we're trying to tell, this drove me nuts last month when Charlotte faced Natalia, and it was her knee for the entire match, and then it ends with a top rope moonsault to the floor for the person that's got a bad knee. So in this case, she's selling her ribs for, for 10 minutes at this point, so she finally is able to climb to the top for a moonsault, and she misses the moonsault, landing on her ribs. This made no sense to me. Bliss then hit her forearm, DDT combination. Charlotte got her foot on the bottom rope. Charlotte then hits a spear. Both are down. Bliss gets up, kicks away at the ribs. Then Charlotte gets her knees up for the twisted Bliss attempt, running boot, which did not connect. And then she applies the figure eight, which, trust me, if you have bruised ribs, the figure eight is probably not the most ideal thing. It's like, I... I understand you have your trademark spots, but if you're telling this story, that should take precedence. Win with something else. It's like your regular arsenal doesn't work, so let's introduce something else. Uh, it's a great way to just introduce a secondary finish, for instance. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think that's a totally valid criticism. So Charlotte won 15 minutes and 44 seconds. Uh, SmackDown is now ahead 3-2. to two. I will say this was... I didn't have high expectations of this match. I thought I thought Alexa, in particular, stood out really well. She's a really great character. Her in-ring is getting better. Um, these two had a good match, but I wouldn't go so far as to say anything above good. Um, and it had its issues for myself. Uh, afterwards, Charlotte kind of nodded towards Alexa, like kind of giving her her unspoken endorsement. Then it was time for Brock Lesnar versus AJ Styles, second from the top. They were going to headline with the men's five-on-five As AJ comes out, we got an insert promo from Jinder Mahal, who stated he's rooting for AJ Styles and his team on SmackDown because he wants Lesnar to beat the holy hell out of AJ and wants his title back. And that rematch, they announced, is happening on Tuesday in Houston, which I could definitely see being some kind of angle. I'd be very surprised to do a title switch on Tuesday, although the way they booked this match, they've kind of given an out if they were to do the title change And then you could do another match between them at Clash of Champions next month. That's all speculation. We'll see. Heyman is out. He introduces Lesnar as a fighter as opposed to a performer, which he notes to AJ. And calls Lesnar the ultimate title holder, the UTH. Cole says it's the longest title reign in over four years. Regarding Brock Lesnar, who's only had this title since April, but I guess that's that's a historic run he is currently on. And I wonder, I couldn't uh, put my name on it, who uh, who that guy was that held it longer four years ago. Lesnar just attacks AJ from the bell, shoulder blocks, punches, knees to the body, and just destroys AJ for the start of this match. He launches him with a belly-to-belly throws him into orbit with a german suplex and then throws aj into the announcer's desk on the floor shoulder first he's just killing this guy uh this was like something off of wwf superstars in 1987 he launches styles with another german and aj just crashes on his neck and lesnar's laughing at this he hits this flying knee and sarcastically says the Smackdown champ as he's destroying AJ and he's taunting AJ telling him to fight him and this is when AJ fires up and attacks the knee of Lesnar he blocks an f5 takes out the knee and hits a seated drop kick he goes for a Cabrata, and Lesnar catches him but stumbles into the ropes and then they messed up this tornado DDT in the corner they recovered Styles hit a springboard and Lesnar sidestep to hit another release German they go to the floor Lesnar is sent knee first into the steps, so he was trying to break down Lesnar from the knee and then he hits a flying forearm off the steps Styles landed a springboard 450 which Lesnar kicked out of then Lesnar gets him up on his shoulders Styles rolls into the calf crusher and this was the first time this audience believed AJ could win this match you know AJ doesn't win a ton of matches with the calf crusher it's usually a rope break but man this crowd reacted to this like this submission was it for Brock Lesnar like he was actually going to tap out to this and Instead of Lesnar reaching the rope, he instead just took AJ and ragdolled this guy up and down into the mat to break himself free. This looked nuts, just the way the velocity of AJ just crashing with the back of his head into the mat to break free. Styles recovers from this. He lands a phenomenal forearm, but Lesnar kicks out to a big reaction. Styles sets up for it again, goes for the springboard, but this time Lesnar catches him on his shoulders, which is damn impressive. I don't care what the size discrepancy is between these two. Still impressive, catching him on his shoulders and hit the F5 to win the match. 15 minutes and 24 seconds. I thought this was the match of the night. I thought it was really... It told a good story, the beginning of which was just Lesnar ragdolling this guy. But over time, AJ was able to break him down. I didn't think this hurt AJ. I think he is that champion. That is the smaller champion that can fly, that can outlast his other opponents. But this was Brock Lesnar he ran into. And ultimately, Lesnar is the most protected guy for for the time being. So I think everyone anticipated the outcome. The fact that uh, SmackDown was up 3-2 going into this match. I think it was a foregone conclusion that they weren't going to end the series here with AJ winning. And I don't think anyone... Well, I should I should clarify that. I don't know how many people watching believed AJ was going to win this match at all. I don't think anyone did. But this crowd in Houston, they certainly bought on many of the finished teases with AJ. So uh, very good match between the, t- the two um this you know watching this match you wonder what these two would have had had this been a match in 2003 um when Lesnar was much younger and I think you get the sense here in 2017 that Lesnar has his limitations that Lesnar has his he has his line and he's not going to go above and beyond that line that he has in his mind. This match alone, this was one of his longest singles matches and I don't know how long at 15 and a half minutes uh when you look back. Like yes, he had that four way at SummerSlam, but that's a lot different than a singles match. So anyway, I thought really strong match and it seemed to be I put a poll up and this seemed to be overwhelmingly uh the pick of everyone. In fact, 75% of the 644 that voted thought this was the match of the night second one being Shield in the New Day, then The Bar versus The Usos in third place. All right. Is everyone ready for this main event? Because I am. Kurt Angle, Triple H, Samoa Joe, Braun Strowman, and Finn Balor taking on Shane McMahon, John Cena, Shinsuke Nakamura, Randy Orton, and Bobby Roode. First of all, Kurt Angle came out in his regular gear and he had U.S. hand wraps as well. And... He came out in his Raw shirt. Joe came out in his Raw t-shirt. Braun came out in his Raw shirt. Finn came out in his Raw shirt. And then Hunter got excused from the Raw t-shirt duty. And came out with his own Raw, well, red t-shirt. I mean, it wasn't a Raw t-shirt. So anyway, it's just funny that you point out these things. And that's what this is. It's about all these guys... These are main event guys, and they realize that individuality is concurrent with being a star, and you don't want to blend into the background, and you don't want to just look like everybody else, and when it comes to these stars, that is totally acknowledged. This isn't a fluke that Triple H, John Cena, and kind of even Shane McMahon, who had his own jersey, are the ones that got excused from wearing... These, these silly t-shirts that I think just does such a number on making these guys look like stars. However, by the end of this match, I had a lot more complaints about making guys look like stars than their goddamn t-shirts. There was this great exchange. I railed on some of the commentary earlier, but Bobby Roode comes out and Graves says, give me a hallelujah. And Saxon goes, Hallelujah. And Graves, just on instinct, replies, shut up, Phillips. And Saxton quickly responds, I'm Saxton. And just the the timing of these responses, (laughs) Byron Saxton's greatest work of all time. Cena comes out. This was hilarious. Not only did he not have to wear a SmackDown shirt, he walks over. And of the five announcers, the five announcers, he slaps hands with Booker T, the raw guy. That's the one guy he picked. There were were three options of these five that would have made sense for the guy that's coming back for SmackDown. And he went with Booker T. I would honestly believe that if you quiz Cena off the top of his head and asked who are the SmackDown announcers, I, I wonder if he would know. So the match starts off with... Chain attacking Braun from behind, and then he just gets launched in response from Braun. Braun was certainly one of the key guys in this match. Not the key guy. We will dedicate lots of time to him. Orton is in with Joe, and unlike the Shield New Day match, this was a match where it felt like an all-star game. Where you were seeing players from the AL and the NL that never interact And here we got to see them and you got to see a lot of interesting interactions, ones that you could look ahead and look ahead and and see that history and others that were just kind of cool, like Orton with Balor, Orton with Samoa Joe. Like these were all cool little combinations I thought that they did early on. So, Balor was in, and Nakamura wanted to be tagged in, and they milked it, Nakamura was tagged, and the crowd is going nuts, they're chanting NXT, then they start chanting New Japan, and the announcers acknowledged one chant, and I'll give you one guess as to which. Michael Cole also has adopted Shin as his way to identify Shinsuke Nakamura. He was Shin for the entire match from Michael Cole. Valor did the two sweet sign right into the face of Nakamura. And then Hunter wants to get in with Nakamura. And this is where the announcers bring up that Triple H is responsible for Nakamura even coming to the WWE. And then they did the same thing for Bobby Roode. And this part was just like, to me, this is Hunter the heel owner. This is not Hunter the NXT mentor. On the main show. And I think it just. Especially for main roster. Main guys like Nakamura is perceived. And like you want Bobby Roode to be perceived. I don't think you want to just paint them with the brush of Hunter's underlings. It just to me. It had this like teacher student mentality vibe to them. That I just didn't feel like this. It just made them feel like like Hunter's students. Uh, like they were beneath him. Like he brought them to the WWE. It should be no. These are these were world-class wrestlers that the WWE was able to sign. Because these are superstars that have competed elsewhere in the world. And they have brought their talents to our company. They, go back to when they were raiding every territory in 85. And they were bringing in guys. They were not just... Vince McMahon is responsible for finding Roddy Piper and bringing him here to the big time no it's like these guys were all superstars in their own home territories and now they are here in the world's biggest company as they would tell you on their television and I just didn't like the whole you know Hunter opening the door to bring these uh, to adopt these uh, these outcasts into the company rude is in with Hunter he goes for his glorious chant and Hunter just decks him before he can do it Hunter does the suck it chant. Rude then blocks a pedigree, hits him with a spine buster. He does the glorious chant, but Hunter gets up. Another pedigree gets blocked and then Angle and Bobby Rude come in and given it was Angle and Rude, we got a New Japan chant. I thought if ever there's going to be in at least present day because... Back ten years ago, they did happen at times. I thought if ever in 2017 we're going to hear a TNA chant, it would be for Angle and Rude, and we did not get one. Uh Rude blocked an angle slam. Nakamura then nailed Braun off the apron, and he got very upset at this because Nakamura just took like a cheap shot at him. And the blind tag is made to Braun, and he nails a uh Nakamura hits him with a knee off the apron, and then Runs into the power slam and Nakamura is the first elimination by Braun Strowman at 11 minutes and 30 seconds of the match. So that was our first SmackDown elimination. And uh, I don't want to say Nakamura was an afterthought. By the end of this match, he was an afterthought. I mean, he had some cool stuff early on. The stuff with Balor. They did him and Hunter in the ring together. But yeah, he was just he was cannon fodder for Braun rude then totally missed this blockbuster and braun just lifts him hits a power slam and he eliminates bobby rude who i've got to say between hunter doing the just decking him after the glorious spot like bobby rude looked like comedy heel in this match and he was out next so raw has the numbers advantage five on three at this point and this is when braun and joe start arguing Orton is in. He hits a draping DDT to Hunter. And then power slams Joe. Cena and Orton are in. They clear the ring until Braun steps up. And Cena and Orton are working together on Braun. They can't lift him for the AA. He stops an RKO. And then they double team him and send him over the top to the floor with a clothesline. The entire SmackDown team, with Nakamura returning, helps Cena and Orton suplex Braun through the announcer's desk on the ground. And this would take Braun out of the match for a good couple of minutes he was gone for a while actually Shane then climbed to the top and this is actually a good tease without being stupid and doing it because the table was broken and Shane climbed to the top and everyone thinks this maniac is going to do a top rope elbow drop to the floor without a table to break his fall but Joe leaped to the top and hit him with an overhead suplex which I always like those spots where you tease something insane and you let people visualize how crazy this would be without actually doing it. it. It's like what Kurt did for all those years, teasing that German off the apron to the floor. And then AJ and Petey Williams actually did it. I was like, no, you tease this crazy spot, not actually trying to decapitate yourselves by doing it and taking a German into a steel barricade. But I like this tease. I thought it was something different from Shane and not killing himself either. So Shane just takes this crazy suplex from Joe off the top. The coquina clutch gets avoided and Shane tags in Cena. And Cole says, This is a match you thought you'd never see, referring to Cena and Samoa Joe and Byron maybe topping his line earlier for his best comeback here, immediately brings up their days in UPW without saying UPW. And Michael Cole, like clockwork, says, first time in a WWE ring. Like, this guy, you just can't get anything past him. Balor then tags in, and he's going for the coup de gras. And Joe's pissed that Balor's tagged himself in. So he tags himself back in, arguing with Balor, and then turns around and gets hit with the AA, Cena then catches Balor, hits an AA to him as well. A second AA is delivered to Joe, and Cena pins Joe at 18 minutes and 5 seconds. So uh, we will see if that leads to anything. I will say after this match with Cena, you might have been scratching your head why he was even a part of this. At this point, Cena invites Kurt Angle into the ring, which is a natural interaction from these two with Cena's debut in 2002. And these two, I've got to say, this was a very underwhelming interaction. Cena seemed slow. His punches rarely look great. And that continued here. And it was just like these waistlock takeovers by angle. And it was like you were watching with, like, half speed, these two. And so much of it was based around Cena's punches. And it was just... I mean, if you're going to take a snapshot of these two from the, these two minutes, this did not make you want to see a match between these two. And then we continued onwards, which, if you're talking about an angle Cena match being far fetched, it makes this finish seem as though it maybe isn't. Angle applies an ankle lock to Cena. Cena escapes. He can't hit the AA, and Angle hits the angle slam. Shane makes the save, and then Balor climbs to the top. And he hits a coup de grace to Cena, followed by another angle slam, and angle pins John Cena at 2155 of the match. and just like that, Cena leaves, he walks to the back, and I'm just sitting there wondering why why was this guy in this match if you're if you're looking at, okay, he had to lose and that sets up a program. Is it angle? because by the end of this match Angle and Cena was hardly the focus you had in mind. Now, maybe you could argue, well, Finn Balor was the one that set up the finish by hitting the coup de grace, even though Kurt Angle got the glory of pinning John Cena. A, if that was the idea to tease Cena and Balor, that's a direction I think people would be on board with. I would have had Balor pin him. However, before I could even type this idea down, Balor... First of all, hits this running drop kick on the floor, murdering Shane. Shane went into this like a crash test dummy into the barricade. This is like watching one of those videos of what happens if you're in a car without an airbag. Shane exploded on the floor. And then he hits a running drop kick to Orton in the ring. He climbs to the top, misses the coup de gras, and Orton just hits the RKO and pins Balor. So whatever. You might say Balor got as like an assist for the Cena elimination. That was squandered in record time and was just another elimination here. So that was everything involving Cena and Balor. Very puzzling to me in this match. And then Orton was in with Hunter. No one really reacted to that, even with the history. Shane returns to the apron. He is alive somehow from this running dropkick from Balor on the floor. And, that, and this is when Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn show up. And they pull down Shane from the apron, toss him over the announcer's desk. And you think that they're going to take out Shane. But no, Shane comes back with a chair and just kills these two. Orton delivers an RKO to Owens inside the ring as a little wink-wink. And then... Braun returns to the Raw corner. Meanwhile, Shane is murdering Zane with chair shots up the ramp. And there's a power slam to Orton. And Braun pins Randy Orton at 26-36. So, the only thing I... Like, Orton was another one who just felt like a loose part in this match. Much like pretty much all the SmackDown guys except for Shane. Like, they all felt meaningless in this match. Other than Shane, who had a storyline attachment to this match. Orton... I definitely see them spinning off him, potentially with Kevin Owens. Doing the RKO like that, I think that they're going to pair those two together coming out of this show, possibly. So, Orton's eliminated. We're down to Angle, Hunter, and Braun, and Shane is all alone. Of all those guys on the SmackDown team, it is Shane that is the lone remaining member of the SmackDown team. Braun does this stare-down. And Hunter tags himself in, but before they can lock up, Angle tags himself in. He wants to beat Shane. Shane just goes for a million covers on Angle after Angle's arguing with Hunter and Shane goes for a schoolboy. And Angle arguing about who's going to beat Shane was the most anger Angle displayed for Triple H after this guy just leveled his son on Monday. So Shane's attacking him with punches, several two-counts. Booker predicts that Shane's going to gas out. Then there's an angle slam delivered to Shane and angle applies an ankle lock and it lasted forever. This was like Vince Russo lasting in that figure four on nitro in 2000 longer than any other flare opponent. It was just Shane in this ankle lock forever. He yanks him into the middle and then finally Hunter comes in and he attacks angle with a pedigree, places Shane on top, and Shane eliminates Angle, at the 32 minute mark, and Hunter is staring at Braun, Hunter stands back, and he's standing next to Shane, so the idea is, Hunter's going to fuck his team, but then Hunter lifts up Shane, pedigrees Shane, and he pins him, at 33 minutes and 20 seconds to win it for his team braun is looking pissed this entire time as hunter's laughing that this was all his plan he just wanted to beat shane that was it and he raises braun's arm and then braun grabs him by the throat and says that hunter will never play this game again if he crosses him again and he walks away from hunter with his back turned and Hunter's selling this big from the choke tease. And Hunter attacks him from behind, goes for a pedigree, but is stopped and hits Hunter with a running power slam, then hit him with a second power slam, tears off his shirt and roars. So Braun was certainly put over as the big baby face coming out of this match. And Hunter was put over as the biggest heel in the entire company. This whole match was built around Hunter. And believe me, I'm not saying Hunter is not a key guy. He is a big character, even as one that's only going to wrestle a few times a year. But let's look at the past five days of what we have lined up for Hunter versus the other members of this match. Hunter literally has matches lined up after this one with Braun, with Kurt, with Shane, not to say the least of which Jason Jordan on Monday. So you potentially have four programs you've built for this guy who looked like Superman in this match, who was treated like a star above everybody else, which listen, it's fine. I'm fine with protecting top guys. If that's what you believe Hunter is, but look at the treatment of the others in this match. Like SmackDown came across so poorly in this match. Like, just Nakamura, Cena, Cena felt like an afterthought through all of this. Like, I understand he was booked as the referee when Jinder Mahal and Lesnar was still on the plans, but they, you're telling me, fine, put him in this match. This was the best you could come up with. There was no WrestleMania tease for John Cena in this match. And if it was, that was a weak tease going. What the Kurt angle route like Kurt has more of an issue with Hunter coming out of this than anyone. So this was to me a very disappointing match mainly because of the booking. And I would even say the work like I thought this match was going to just kill it for 45 minutes. I thought this was going to be unbelievable and it was not. This was not a memorable main event. Um, not even a – not even – uh I don't even know where you would put this on the show. I listed my top three matches. It's not sniffing those three. Uh I, I was disappointed with this match. And coming out of it, like everything was built around Hunter, who's not going to be working every week, who at best you're not getting again in a match until the Rumble, if not WrestleMania. So listen, they've – Braun was certainly put over strong in this match, but man, they, they chipped away at a lot of guys in this match, like your Ballers, your Joes, your Nakamoras, rude. I mean, they felt like there are, there are the, the top stars, there are the medium stars, and then there's these other guys. That's what it felt like. Um, and that was the Survivor Series, folks. Afterwards, this was not shown, but this video got posted by someone in the arena where, I mean, to his credit, Hunter sold this attack by Braun uh, all the way up the ramp, and Stephanie is out, and Hunter turns around and he walks into the set. And you've got to see this video. I retweeted it at I am John Pollock. I mean, it was pretty comical. And I don't know where hunter's program is because he's got a drop down menu of several choices of where he could go there's the shane issue there's the brown the Braun issue and there's the kurt issue those are the primary ones i don't really consider jason jordan much of i mean he'll be kind of linked to kurt so i mean hey hunter's got like nine months worth of angles for himself coming out of this show was that the goal of survivor series to have nine months of angles for triple h um I was chatting with Brian Mann, and he brought up a great point, was like, what was the idea seven days ago before Hunter was put into this match? Like, this whole match was built around Hunter. What was the idea before Hunter was added to this match five days out? Um, I'm sure this was a completely different match. And I mean, the one thing is SmackDown looking weak. Again, I feel like I'm defending something that was just Poorly put together, but now Brian has a lot of a of an issue now with Shane because of what he did. He put SmackDown at risk, and they came out the worst for wear um, against Raw. So, um, I was I was overall I would say I'm thumbs in the middle, leaning down on the Survivor Series. I enjoyed Lesnar and Styles. I enjoyed Shield and the uh, New Day. But two matches on a you know five and a half hours, I d- I don't know if that really cuts it. Um, Takeover blew this away. Uh, that is uh, that's not even a question or a debate. And I would say, had the main event even with the booking, had the main event just been this killer forty minute match, I think I would have been you know solid thumbs in the middle to. Even leaning up if that was that super hot match. But it wasn't. I was very disappointed with the main event on Sunday night. Because you had the combination of you had great talent. You also had combinations that either have not been done in years and years. Or they've never been done. And this crowd was totally on board for that. They were totally into the idea of seeing these fantasy matchups in that main event. And I don't think it delivered. I don't think they did enough creative stuff involving everyone. I don't think they did some even clever callbacks like Orton and Hunter to do something. It was just like they threw them together with no kind of context or even like some, some gravity towards the fact that they're in the ring together. And there were, there were lots of them. And I just think you've done all this great stuff with Joe. He was just a a afterthought. I thought with Balor, just the way, you know, they did that stupid Kane finish a few weeks ago, you get the sense they're building him up. And if Balor, listen, who's going to face Brock at the Rumble? If Brock's defending that title at the Rumble and it's Balor, and this is what you did with Balor. Like, I watch this, it's like, how can, like, Braun is the one guy to me that was of the younger, regular, every week talent Braun was the one that they protected. But Braun's had his shot at Lesnar. I don't see them going back to that match. And there's no one that's heated up for Lesnar at the moment on the Raw side. And you had a great opportunity here. Had had Balor survived with Hunter and Braun? I mean, maybe you have to pick one over the other and Braun was the focus. Maybe Hunter sees Braun as someone he can draw with, much like Batista. Whatever. Um, There were ways you could have gone out of your way to make Balor look much more superior. And if he, and we don't know this, if he is the one facing Lesnar, he should have been the priority because you've got to get that guy heated up on a big show like this, beating someone big and pinning Cena would have been huge. That could propel him to face Lesnar at the Rumble. He could come up short and then you have this outstanding issue of Cena and Balor and that's Definitely could be a Mania match. That was the Survivor Series. Uh, I have not had a chance yet to watch this Kevin Owens 365 special on the network. I am going to watch it. Um, I've just seen comments from people who are raving about it. So we will talk about that Monday night uh, after we review Raw. Um, it's following Kevin Owens from SummerSlam 2016 to 2017. And You know exactly what you're getting with Kevin Owens, a guy that is brutally honest. And this seems to be, from what I gather, a lot of his very real impressions of how his run as champion was, um, second-guessing himself, um, not always being content with where his career – in fact, he says – I did see the beginning of it where he says he's never happy and – where he always wants things to be better in his career. So I think it's going to be a fascinating show to watch. So um, I will watch that uh, in time for Monday night. Way will be back Monday night. We will be chatting about Raw, chatting about the Kevin Owens special. And if Way sees the Survivor Series, I'll get his quick thoughts as well about that and if that's not enough we'll also chat about night 1 of new japan's world tag league which way attended live at corken hall i have watched the show and we'll discuss that briefly as well so you can catch all of our shows john and way 4.life that's the number 4.life and a lot of people have asked us about itunes our shows currently Are not, you can't just search on iTunes for them. However, if you go to the site, John and Way 4.life, on the top left hand corner, there's a drop down menu. You can copy the RSS feed, just paste it into your whatever your podcast um, app is. You can, if you have the regular podcast app, it's super easy. You just go to add podcast, the plus sign type um, type in or copy and paste the RSS feed and the shows will, will appear there for you in iTunes and they'll update just subscribe to the feed so it is accessible through iTunes we understand you do have to do a little work uh, to get them but they are there so that is it I have talked by myself for a very long time holy Christ I just looked at the time uh, that is it I'm gonna wrap things up at I am John Pollock on Twitter and Instagram, and we will speak with you Monday night following Raw. Thanks for listening.